G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. So this time of year, well, there's sometimes a little bit of a reprieve here in Australia for some of the natural disasters, but, you know, they're never far away, whether it's flood or bushfire, cyclones, severe storms or drought. You could even put into the mix there, couldn't you, the possibility of earthquake. Uh, Never say never, never say it won't happen to me. Well, we're always proud of the SES, the State Emergency Service, and sometimes our military that support efforts in relief and recovery. But today, a focus on one of the big dimensions that is sometimes overlooked. I'm talking about the role of a chaplain in disaster recovery. Well, our special guests today are drawing together individuals and organisations to be part of a coordinated approach to chaplaincy in the wake of major disasters. The recently formed Disaster Chaplaincy Network in the state of Queensland has formed similar to a model that is already operational in New South Wales. Two special guests joining us. Jesse Webb is CEO at Chaplain Watch in Brisbane and Angie Herantz is the Queensland Northern Territory Director for Chaplaincy Australia. Uh, First of all, a special welcome along to you, Angie. Good morning. And to you, Jesse. Welcome to you. Hi, Neil. Great to be on with you. Thank you. Uh, Let me just start with you, Angie, uh, Queensland Northern Territory Director for Chaplaincy Australia. Initiatives like this, uh, a whole new organisation being formed because there's a need for this when a natural disaster hits. Uh, Where are you seeing uh, the sort of, you know, the place we have here in Australia right now? We might not have a major natural disaster that's happening right in this moment, but we are a land, uh, you know, a land of drought and flooding rains. What are your thoughts here for the need for expansion? Yeah, well, uh, what we recognised is that disaster chaplaincy networks exist in every other state and had existed in every other state for a number of years. Uh, and Queensland was the only uh, state that was really lacking behind um, having a disaster chaplaincy network. So there'd been a n- number of organisations who had um, people who had responded individually um, as disaster chaplains in Queensland and organisations such as Chaplaincy Australia and Chaplain Watch who had sent people out um, over the years to do um, small responses, but we really recognised coming into the 2022 floods that there were a lot of people who were wanting to respond um, and and who needed a, a coordinated response uh, to get behind and to be able to establish something uh, where people could actually step up and be a part of something collectively um, and have an organised, coordinated response. So Queensland actually has twice as many disasters as any other state, and so we just thought, you know, this is this is a good place to begin and why not um, get something, um, get ourselves together and, and get an organisation together that can actually de- deploy chaplains. Interesting, as you say, uh, Queensland prone to natural disasters and yet somehow or other there's been a dragging of the feet and we've seen some of these disaster chaplaincy groups established in other states, but in Queensland, uh, we might even say, Jesse, uh, three cheers for what you guys are doing because 
you're helping to spearhead the way here and I know you'll be wanting to connect with people all over the state of Queensland. We want to include other people in other states around the country because there are already some of these sorts of organisations in place. Uh, but, um, you know, just come back to this for a moment here, Jesse. We are a, a nation of drought and flooding rains and cyclones and hailstorms and there's stuff that happens. People's lives are completely... Uh, sometimes dismembered by disaster. I mean, how do you reflect on that? That uh, you know that we've, we're prone to these natural disasters. It has effects on people, individuals, and families. Yeah, look, we we know as chaplains that there is a whole range of different things that happen in people's lives. Disasters are more and more frequently becoming an aspect of that. Um, seeing disasters are ha- is having a, an effect on people's lives as well. Um, we know that most people are going to be impacted by a disaster in the next few years. They'll have a loved one affected by a disaster. They'll be a part of a community um, that more broadly is affected by a disaster. And we all watch on on the news and we all watch on as we um, we see our loved ones being impacted. And I think the big question always is, what can we do to help? Uh, in particular, uh, as Christians and as churches and as chaplains, uh, we always have that instinct and that um, that that move to assist when we see our neighbours in crisis, when we see our neighbours uh, in disaster. Um, we just know that as, um, as Chaplaincy Ministries, um, Chaplaincy Australia, Chaplain Watch, uh, and a whole range of other uh, ministries and denominations that are involved in the Queensland Disaster Chaplaincy Network, uh, we just know that we needed to find a way to be able to respond to the hurts that people are experiencing. Um, and, and disasters have, have a, a really interesting uh, dynamic whereby um, the disaster itself is a is a challenge the disaster itself causes disruption and and trauma and um, loss um, but at the same time they also draw people out of um, the situations that they're in into into places where we can respond so an evacuation center or a recovery center often is a place where somebody's homelessness or risk of homelessness comes out it's a place where domestic violence becomes public and present. present. Um, it's a place where those traumas um, are, are so uh, raw and obvious. And so as chaplains, we know that anywhere there's a person in crisis, there's a chaplain uh, response that can be uh, provided. So, no, we um, we just really believe that disasters pro- provide a, an incredible opportunity for us to love our neighbours in really practical ways. And um, uh, we've experienced that through a number of disaster responses now. Angie, uh, when a disaster hits, uh, let's just pick up an example. Um, you know, major hailstorm or a cyclone takes the roof off a house. Family's been traumatised inside. Uh, wonderful people arrive like the SES. And, you know, they come with chainsaws and they clear up stuff and they get rid of uh, all sorts of debris and uh, they throw a tarp over your roof and make the house livable. The family inside has been traumatised and you've got people like those SES people who are mostly volunteers. Uh, they, they just respond when the need is there. This is the sort of thing that you guys are trying to do now to bring together, a, I'm, I'm going to say, a small army of volunteer chaplains who are available at the drop of a hat when there is trauma that's being caused by disaster. This is the sort of small army you're trying to build. Yeah, 100%. So we're really looking at um, training up uh, 
pastors and also uh, chaplains to be able to provide a chaplaincy response. So we're looking for people who, you know, may already be involved in chaplaincy in some form or may already be involved in, in pastoral care within their churches. And um, what we can do is provide an extra couple of days training for them where we can upskill them to be able to provide this sort of response. Because like you've mentioned, there's there's trauma associated with these sorts of things. There's all kind of crises that can actually emerge once you begin to talk to the family. So we want to equip people well so that they know how to actually provide a fantastic chaplaincy response so we can get them the help that they need. We can help them work through some of those traumas and we can refer them on to appropriate services that might be around. So whether that be other church supports, counselling, domestic violence services, whatever the need may arise, that our guys are well equipped to be able to um, fulfil those needs that that come out. Let me ask you about the spirituality of all of this. I'll come to you here, Jesse, because sometimes there's this assumption that, you know, someone's going through a disaster, oh, there's a little bit of uh, relief, there's some aid in place, there's somebody who's looking out for, you know, some disaster relief payments and such things. There might also be some uh, sort of secularised counselling psychological service available too. Let me ask you about the spirituality of what happens when you've got the chaplain in place because, you know, we serve an almighty God who gives us purpose and who gives us uh, a place of meaningfulness uh, and dealing with some sort of disaster and things that are bad that happen. Sometimes there's a spiritual dimension here. What are your thoughts for the value of the Christian chaplain available when disaster strikes? Yeah, that's a really great question, Neil. Look, as chaplains, you know, we can we can trace a very long history of, um, of, of spiritual connection. Um, right back to, you know, the person who we think of as being the first chaplain, Martin of Tours, or some people would know him as Saint Martin, uh, who saw a uh, beggar naked on the uh, on the road and split his uh, cape in half to cover over that uh, beggar. Um, in that way, we we just view that chaplains as being people who go out to create a sacred space in what is usually a secular environment. So when we're in an evacuation centre or we're in a recovery centre, there are people who are asking very valid questions and very meaningful questions about why disaster happens, why why has this happened to me, um, you know, how can a loving God allow uh, something like this to happen? It's really important that we have a faithful, spiritual, um, informed person to be able to guide people and hear their questions and allow them their lamentation, but in a in a in a way that is supported and cared for. And and so we're not counselors, you know, we're just people who walk beside people in disaster. And you talked about all of those practical needs. What we've found is uh, in a disaster uh, recovery setting or an evacuation setting, it's a very structured environment where there's lots of different agencies who are there to look after a whole range of different things. What we know is up until now, there hasn't been a formal spiritual care component in Queensland. And what we also know is that there's a lot of needs that go uh, unmet. So as chaplains, you know, we have to be able to bring our faith, our certainty uh, and our belief in God and in hope and in, uh, in and in the blessings that can come even out of disasters uh, into those spaces. And it's, um, it's a powerful thing when we have the opportunity to connect with people in that way. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision. 
I do also want to open our talkback lines. So if you'd like to participate in our conversation, if you've ever been through a natural disaster, you might want to even just let us in on what's going through your mind uh, when you've lost the roof of your house. Maybe you've lost your house altogether. Uh, Maybe you've been a victim of bushfire disaster or uh, you might have your own disaster you'd like to contribute. Well, 1-800-316-316. We'll open our talkback lines. Uh, You might like to join in. You might want to just connect with these two who are leading the charge on this recently formed Disaster Chaplaincy Network. Jesse Webb is with us, also Angie Herantz. Angie, let me ask you uh, that, you know, because you've been chaplaincy in these spaces and you've turned up at natural disasters and people have gone through the ringer, um, are they angry? Are they Uh, hurt? Uh, What sort of things are you encountering when you're turning up as a chaplain after a natural disaster? Yeah, well, we recognise that trauma can have all kinds of... um, People can respond differently to trauma uh, depending on their personality and and what what might be going through their mind. So sometimes people can be angry. Sometimes people can be having a crisis of faith. Um, Sometimes people can be having all kinds of responses. Other times people can be coping quite well. It really depends on the individual. Um, But, you know, during the uh, 2022 floods, I had a couple who had previously uh, attended church and um, previously had a faith, but had really walked away from uh, their belief systems. But this, uh, this, this flooding situation where they had lost everything, they'd lost their home, they'd lost everything that they owned and really just had the clothes on their back, um, saw the word chaplain written on my back and came and approached me and just said, chaplain, you know, we're here to ask those hard questions, you know, why did God do this? Did God do this? Um, and then they began to, at the end of the conversation, they wanted to reconnect with their faith. They wanted to, to reconnect with the church community um, because they recognized that there was hope there. They recognized that there was hope for the future, hope to be able to rebuild. And they needed uh, they needed God. They, whenever, when all else was lost, um, it brought them back to their core beliefs and what, what it was that existed deep within their spirit and, and where they could draw their strength from. Jesse, when people are in that sort of crisis, natural disaster has hit. Sometimes they're thankful, no doubt, uh, that they have survived. Uh, Sometimes family members didn't, uh, or pets or livestock. Um, When people are faced with mortality, uh, is this, as Angie says, in sometimes in those moments, people wanting to reconnect with God, they realize they've, they've let some things slip how do you see, um, you know, the the the, tra- the traumatic response response that's going uh, in people's hearts? Yeah, look, uh, as Angie said, people respond in so many different ways to this kind of disaster or this kind of um, trauma. I think I think what we know about a disaster is, you know, we see the the physical. You know, my house is gone, my pets have died, I can't get back. Um, we see all of those responses. Um, very clearly. Um, what people uh, have, though, is it's a disconnection from the norm in, in, in ways that we're not used to. So suddenly they become disconnected from the things that are, are meaningful to them. They've, they're disconnected from their sense of hope or life or um, future even. Um, and so uh, people respond in, in all sorts of ways. But what we really find is that they they often respond with just 
questions about how do I deal with this situation that I've never been in? What's the process? Who do I talk to? How do I how do I get through? You know, where am I sleeping? Where are my kids sleeping? You know, we, I mean, we've had people rushing back to fire fronts in the 2019 um bushfire emergency in New South Wales where we responded to try and get to um, to animals that were trapped behind the fire line and, you know, um, and doing all sorts of irrational things, you know, taking their kids in the car to try and drive through fire. And um, and so, yeah, people have questions. You know, I, I've uh, had situations where we, we've had a couple in that same emergency down in a uh, uh, northern New South Wales uh, town where – in the in the morning, the the wife would get up very early, and I learned how to make her coffee uh, just perfectly, apparently. But uh, but you know, she uh-huh. she had lots of questions about God, about faith. You know, this wasn't a person of faith, um, but who really needed to process process that her you know what this meant for her marriage, what this meant for her future. By the evening, he was a late uh, a late sleeper, so I would be talking to him uh, from ten o'clock till midnight about all of these things, and in the morning, I'd be talking to her, and um, and and so you're you're meeting a whole range of needs, spiritual, um, intellectual, uh, relationship, you know, because all of those aspects of of a person's being have become unhitched or uh, from 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 where they would normally be tethered. Um, it's it's quite a dynamic situation as a chaplain to be um, to be looking at a whole range of human needs, including the spiritual, to be able to um, help them restore some sense of uh, peace or gravity. You know, I, I suppose as Christians, you know, what we're really trying to do is is use Christ's teachings to help people um, to build their house back on the rock. Um, in in many ways, where a lot of them didn't have that firm foundation, their house was previously built on sand, both literally. Uh, and spiritually, so yeah, a powerful scripture to reflect on, isn't it? Uh, when your house has been built on sand, and uh, the strong winds blow, and the storm comes, and everything gets washed away, uh, you hope there's a second chance. And so, in some sense, there is a second chance, and that's where the chaplain comes in. Now, it could be some might say, "Well, oh well, just some local Christians from the local church just turn up, and they can be helpful." And oftentimes that is a wonderful thing to happen in providing sandwiches and so you know whatever might be necessary after a disaster. But what sort of special training is required here, Angie, uh, to be ready and well equipped and be part of the team uh, that can go into a disaster situation and be, you know, I'd, I'd be thinking it'd be great if Jesse came along if I was going through that trauma. So just fabulous hearing your heart there, Jesse. But the sort of equipping that I might need, where, do, where does that start, Angie? Yeah, well, one of the things that we recognise is that people want to help during um, times of disaster and especially the church and, and people of faith. You know, we want to go down there and, and provide that sort of support. But, um, you know, the evacuation centres and recovery centres are really well-oiled machines where there's a lot of processes in place and you can't just walk into one of those places. There's really a lot of protocol that goes around them. So what we've done uh, with this disaster network is that we've come in under uh, the government's processes um, and we will be appropriately training and equipping people to know exactly what goes on inside an evacuation centre and what process they need to follow um, when they step into those places. So uh, the training that we're looking for is that people would already have a foundation of being either a um, 
ordained or qualified pastor themselves or that they would be already connected with a uh, chaplaincy network, whether that be um, school chaplaincy or Chaplaincy Australia or Chaplain Watcher or any other chaplaincy organisations so that they've already got the foundation of pastoral care behind them. And then the Queensland Disaster Chaplaincy Network will offer two days of uh, disaster chaplaincy training where people can come in and specifically learn um, what goes on inside those centres, the rules and regulations within those centres, and then how to appropriately respond to those who might be experiencing trauma or crisis. And then the other thing that we want to do is be able to um, ne- network with uh, churches and, and organisations that exist within the community Community, so that then when the chaplains and the evacuation centres pack up and go home, that then the community can carry on that longer term support. So, um, you know, there might be churches who might have uh, food banks or they might have other types of care. So whether that be counselling support or um, women's and men's groups where we can refer those people who are struggling, who've lost everything back to the church to be able to pick up some of that ongoing support. So more than just arriving after the event, there's also a coordination of how there might be ongoing care. Let's squeeze in a call or two before news. Alison is in Doughboy uh, in Queensland. Hello, Alison. Welcome along. Uh, yes, good morning. Alison, what are your thoughts? Uh, well, I just um, find this whole area very, very interesting for a start and appreciate listening to what they're all saying. Um, the thing is that we actually personally have been through all of those things. <laughs> uh, we're farmers, of course. I've spoken to you before, Neil. Yep. Um, and um, so we've been through, well, plus I guess we went through our theft as well. So we lost um, in our cattle area, we lost, I think it was about 132 head of cattle and we never um, got those back. Um, and I think it's kind of started off there. We've had um, fires that like burnt half one side of the property and then six months later the other half of the property. And um, we had one year, we had oh, two, not one year, but like several years, uh, we had two major, major floods that took out all the fencing and everything. And... Um, then, of course, a um, few years ago, we suffered, uh, after that severe drought, we lost um, 50% of our herd. Alison, so you've I... been through the ringer. I can hear that. And I'm, i just got to cut in because we're almost at news time and I want to get a quick thought from sure. Jessie here. But, uh, um, you know, it, you're, you've, you're a woman of faith. What, what difference does faith make when you actually are going through recovery? And because this is where a chaplain's going to bring this in for people who either have lapsed their faith or what, what faith, what difference does faith make for you very quickly, Alison? Yes, very quickly. There are two areas like faith is everything, everything. And um, the um, strength of our marriage together as husband and wife was everything also. Because it puts um, it puts incredible pressure, like you've never known, and it didn't go on one year; it went on for years. Alison, I'm going to get a thirty second response here. <laughs> Keep sure. it to that if we can. Jesse, thoughts here for Alison? 
Oh, well, Alison, uh, first of all, my condolences for the huge uh, burden that you've had to carry with disasters. And, and we know that uh, that burden is greater uh, on those who are living in rural environments. So um, I can't imagine uh, what you've been through. But uh, Alison, uh, thank you for talking about the, the power of, of marriage, the power of faith, and, uh, and in particular, um, you know, thank you for connecting with us. Uh, I'd love to talk to you uh, more if there is an opportunity to hear more about your experiences. Angie, let me come to you because, as I say, there are disaster chaplaincy networks that are happening in other states around Australia. Uh, give us a little insight here for listeners in Western Australia and South Australia and the Northern Territory and Victoria and Tasmania uh, because we're not just talking about Queensland today. Uh, those states already have well-established networks. Yes, that's correct. Um, so I'm a- actually sit on what is called um, AVICA. It's the Australian Volunteer Emergency Chaplaincy Alliance. And it's um, a committee of people who basically oversee all of the disaster networks right across Australia. So um, every state or territory um, has has a disaster chaplaincy network. Down in Victoria, it's run by the Victorian Council of Churches. Um, in here in Queensland, you know, it's um, we've got a committee which is an ecumenical committee um, formed up of people of all different denominations to be able to come together to form what is called the Queensland Disaster Chaplaincy Network. But in every state, um, a different network exists, all with slightly different names, but they all have the word disaster chaplaincy in them. <laughs> and uh, and people are already responding right across Australia into evacuation and recovery centres under these coordinated uh, organisations uh, where they're deploying people to be able to help people in times of crisis. Is there an Avika website? Um, I mean, we're giving your uh, an email address today and a connection to uh, to the organisation uh, that Jesse's a part of, Chaplain Watch. But is there an Avika website that are, are taking people's interest in chaplaincy? Yeah, it's it's sitting under the the Council of Churches. So if you go to their webpage, then you'll actually find Avika sitting sitting on their webpage, where it describes a little bit about uh, what Avika does, and you'll also be able to see a full list of all of the uh, disaster networks right across Australia. Well, a couple of humble guests here with us saying that Queensland, as a state, has dragged its feet and uh, I don't think this is a, a thing that you blame the government before uh, for this is what you actually point the finger and say where were the churches uh, where was the leadership that was getting this sort of chaplaincy network up and going well well you guys are spearheading this the disaster chaplaincy network for the state of Queensland today uh, we're actually saying if you're listening in whatever community whether it's a city suburb region uh, you might be stuck in the middle of the outback. Uh, you might be a long way from ordinary civilization. You're saying, how can this sort of chaplaincy network actually influence me? Well, it comes down to local churches in communities all around the state of Queensland. And there's a call out today to connect with you in your community. And uh, I'll give that uh, that email address, Director at chaplaincyaustralia.com QLD Director at chaplaincyaustralia.com Jesse, this is not the government's fault in fact, uh, let me just ask you about the Queensland government because we're often uh, critics of some of the legislation that's passing federally and in the states but here's something where the Queensland government's recognised the need for a spirituality being looked after in chaplaincy what are your thoughts here? Yeah, look, I mean, I think we're being a little harsh on uh, on the church broadly in Queensland. I think there's been a huge number of uh, different 
chaplaincy and church responses to disaster. In fact, uh, every time there is a disaster, you can find the the church and the Christians helping. Uh, what this is about is is forming a coordinated response. Um, look, in uh, in 2022, when the floods hit at the southeast corner, um, Chaplaincy Australia and Chaplain Watch both realised we had resources that we could provide and we got in and we got stuck in and we started responding. And so I, I don't want to discourage the church or Christians or chaplains from being in, involved when, when disaster strikes because it's only through responding, it's only through being there when it matters that these kinds of things can come about. And so the, the government's response to us being there on the front line, helping out in evacuation centres, was to say, how can we support what you're doing? How can you get involved with what we're doing? In fact, uh, following uh, the uh, response to the floods, which was 40 chaplains in 11 centres, I'm probably undermining that a little bit. It might even be a bit more than that. Um, But it was the biggest coordinated effort uh, for chaplaincy and disaster in Queensland last year. The government... uh, wanted to keep talking to us and uh, and the response essentially was where have you been where have you been wow. we need a coordinated effort so uh, so they've actually formed a, a, a specific service type um, separate to what you might call a, a secular psychological first aid response that is chaplaincy directed and so um, they've uh, made the Queensland disaster chaplaincy network the preferred providers within the structures of disaster response in Queensland. So uh, 40 chaplains in those uh, those special evacuation centres. Uh, I imagine, Angie, that 400 chaplains would be a better way to say this is what happens next time there's a major disaster. But in order to get to 400 chaplains, you have to be able to make links with church communities right around the whole state. Is that the way you'd increase the numbers? Yeah, that's correct. So uh, during the 2022 floods, we had uh, chaplains deployed all the way from the Lockyer Valley right out to Gympie across uh, numerous evacuation uh, recovery centres right across that area. Um, And we even had uh, local councils calling us up and saying, do you have a chaplain who can respond to this centre? And because the roads were closed and and those sorts of things, we were unable to get people into the area. So one of our aims is that we want to train up people locally so that then we don't need to try and cross those flooded roads or to get past those fire breaks, but to be able to have people who can be responsive within those immediate areas. Um, So we're looking at rolling out training right across Queensland in numerous different areas and communities so that we can train people locally so that then when a a flood takes or a flood or a disaster, whatever kind of uh, disaster it may be, that you can respond to your local uh, community, uh, the evacuation centre down the road from you, so you'll be able to get in. Um, It's not always practical for us to be able to send people in, but when we've got locals trained, they know the community, they know the area, they know what resources are available, and they're able to respond to uh, the people that they may even have relationship with. And it could be all very well for someone from a local church to turn up at an evacuation centre and say, I'm here from the local church. Um, But as you were saying, Angie, uh, you can get this accreditation as being the chaplain. You've gone through the training. You know what the regulations are. Jesse, if I'm asking you, because, you know, you're looking fabulous in your chaplain watch shirt there today. and, And when you've got chaplain on the back, people know who you are. Let us in on some of the really important aspects of the trust that comes when you are officially accredited. Uh, a trustworthy person, a trustworthy ear to listen and to 
help in a situation like this? What does this mean to people when you've got the shirt and you've got the accreditation? Look, one of the things that we hear time and time again from uh, our our clergy chaplains is that they get through doors with their chaplain badge on that they can never get through with their pastor or or uh, priest um, badges on. Uh, there is a certain trust that Australia, Queensland in particular, but Australia has in chaplains um, that doesn't exist, I, I think, anywhere else in the world. Um, whilst there is um, decreased trust, we're at all-time low on trust for institutions like the church and clergy, chaplaincy is advancing significantly in trust. Um, we know um, that people are interacting with chaplains in schools. They're interacting with chaplains in uh, the military, in hospitals, in uh, universities, you name it. There's probably a chaplain in every institution in Australia. Because of that, um, we carry a huge amount of trust when we walk into those disasters and walk into those evacuation centres. It's meaningful to people to know, not that, that we're just nice people who are there to do nice things, but that we are trained, that they can actually rely on us to have the answer uh, about who they need to talk to, how they need to, how they need to approach this whole confusing uh, thing that is disaster recovery and evacuation and support. So, um, yeah, having having the badge, having the accreditation, having the vest on your back uh, opens, opens you up immediately to the trust that people need um, to be walked through and supported through this um, very complex and very stressful process. Lots of people have lots of needs when a disaster strikes. Angie, uh, what about not only people who've you know had something there's major loss uh, almost lives uh, disintegrating before your eyes uh, but there's also those who actually do have a big heart and they've been there as first responders they've been there to help they've worked all day i mean i'm just thinking about fireys uh, on the front line of bushfires uh, exhausted at the end of a day it's not just people who've lost things, uh, things that may be able to be replaced later, but there are those who are actually the frontline responders. They also need the work of a chaplain. Yeah, 100%. You know, um, disasters affect everybody. And we can't forget about those who are first responders or even those who are in those evacuation centres who are responding to uh, people in crisis because... All day, every day, they're hearing people's stories and it can really take its toll on, um, you know, whether it be the Red Cross worker or the state government worker or the SES worker who is uh, there to provide the support. But they're also um, experiencing trauma and crisis themselves, watch, watching and witnessing these things take place in front of them. So as a chaplaincy organisation, one of our aims is that we really, we're not just there for um, the people directly affected, but we're also there for the people who might be indirectly affected as well as. So at the end of the day, when we have debriefing sessions, our chaplains go around and they talk to all of the uh, the workers within those centres. They talk to the, the Red Cross workers. They talk to the state government workers. They talk to the local council who've been in there providing support. And they're able to offer some debriefing and uh, referral support for those people as well as to help build their resilience so they can um, come back tomorrow feeling refreshed and ready to be able to continue doing the great work that they're doing. Jesse, you mentioned um, military chaplains, school chaplains, hospital chaplains. Uh, 
When a disaster strikes, uh, do people who are skilled and qualified in their different areas of chaplaincy, uh, do they sort of automatically qualify to become a disaster chaplain or is there some special things that you you need to have about you as some, you know, with the accreditation, with the training, um, you know, do you have to be a part of the disaster chaplaincy network or are you about just linking uh, in some ways all of these different chaplaincy organisations? Well, a little bit of both, I suppose. Um, one thing to note is that a lot of those chaplains will already be very active in their own um, in their own communities. So, if you're a fire chaplain, you're probably very busy looking after your your fireys. If you're a military chaplain, then you're probably on the front line. We uh, we have good contact with a, a military chaplain who did a lot of community work in the bushfires, for example. Um, if you're a chaplain, if you're working in any of those spaces, we'd love to talk to you. We have ex- expressions of interest open for that training now. So the website that you've been providing to Angie is the means for that. Um, yes, you would you would qualify to come to the training. We'd actually you don't even need to be a chaplain to come to the training. The training will be an opportunity to understand how, as a community, you can respond to uh, disaster and and to give you some basic skills. Beyond that, we are looking for those people who are qualified in those ways to yeah, get that accreditation and put that chaplain uh, vest on. Yep. Are there already uh, various groups that are getting started around the state of Queensland? Uh, because we said, you know, maybe we've been dragging our feet a little bit. Uh, are there particular regions where you've got some central hubs uh, where chaplains are forming? Uh, Angie, is this something? So, you know, for people in far north Queensland, uh, around Cairns, uh, you know, cyclone season is not far away again. Uh, you know, are there already groups that are coming into formation, readying themselves for the next disaster? Yeah, so um, Chaplaincy Australia's got a number of chaplains all uh, who may already be in a range of different um, institutions providing chaplaincy support. A number of uh, chaplains are already on uh, the local disaster management committees, so where they're um, talking to local councils about the chaplaincy support that a disaster-trained chaplain can actually provide. So up in far north Queensland, we've got a number of um, Chaplaincy Australia chaplains who are just waiting for to uh, be upskilled in that disaster chaplaincy training so they can be deployed into those regions. Um, They're already um, getting themselves equipped. They're already having those conversations with local council members um, so that they know that this training's coming so that um, they're, they're ready to receive us when we're ready to go. Come back to the spirituality of what happens in the chaplaincy and staying with you for a moment here, Angie. Um, the spirituality, the difference that a chaplain makes. And as we've been saying, there's all sorts of different dynamics in different types of chaplaincy. But um, you've been in these sort of evacuation centres and you've been there face-to-face with people who've had some major losses. What has it been like to be there standing almost, you know, it's like the hands and feet of Jesus, isn't it? When you are there and you're representing you're not just representing yourself, but it's almost like, you know, God's handmaiden, God's servant in that circumstance. Mm, well, one of the things that uh, we know as chaplains is that we um, provide the, the ministry of presence. And really, that is a ministry of, of the presence of God, that we're carriers of the presence of God into those spaces. So when everything is chaotic, when, you know, people are crying, when, you know, they don't know what's going on, they come in disheveled and 
and not really recognizing what's just happened to them, we can be those people who are able to to provide that that calm, sacred space for people. You know, sometimes people may may have a faith, sometimes they may not have a faith, but either way, they need peace. When they come into those places, they need to experience peace. And so some of them may want to have conversations about their face. Sometimes they might just want to have conversations about their mental health. Regardless of their need, though, we're there to be able to provide uh, that type of support. We've had a number of situations where people have come in and have said, I've lost my Bible. Do you have a Bible that you can provide to us? I had another person who said, you know, I'm so traumatized and so... um, uh, you know, I, I'm so not coping with the situation that's that's taken place. She said, every morning I would normally get up and do my devotions, but I don't have the um, capacity to be able to do that. She said, Chaplain, could you do devotions with me this morning? Would you be able to do that with me every morning while I'm in the evacuation center? So people actually come asking us to be able to help them with those spiritual needs uh, because they may not have the capacity to be able to reach out to God themselves. They may not um, be able to connect with their churches during those times. So it is a, a void that we can come in f- and fulfill, and it helps us to be to be able to provide a holistic uh, approach to that person, whether it be mental health, spiritual health, or their physical health. And getting together this coordinated effort and Queensland is a very big state. Uh, there's lots of dimensions in just the size of our state. But when you say, Jesse, the government is interested in the spiritual needs of people when they are suffering through that trauma of a natural disaster, um, resources, uh, is the government resourcing you in a significant way so that you can get feet on the ground in a significant way when a natural disaster hits? Uh, Well, we're still in the very early stages of forming the network. Um, What the government has done is that they've um, created a service type called Chaplaincy Services, which falls within the disaster management uh, response. Uh, When we respond, um, they've put up um, uh, funding for us to be able to do those responses. But uh, outside of the actual response, we're still working uh, both on grants and, and other funding opportunities for that equipping Uh, phase that we're in. So we are definitely working on uh, gaining more resources to be able to roll out training to, uh, I think it's over 20 LGAs um, across Queensland um, to to do the very practical, like buying vests and uniforms and doing all of those things, you know, even setting up a website so that we don't uh, need to just direct you to our own emails, but to have uh, to have all of those other bits and pieces. So there is definitely a resourcing need. Um, and the different uh, agencies and denominations are all um, drawing from the charitable um, funds that we have to be able to support this because we believe it's so important. But yeah, the government is, uh, is on board and is providing, but uh, there is still much need uh, with regards regards to the resourcing of this network. They're open to be asked for the resources and responsibility on your shoulders to actually say this is where the need is, uh, this is the resource we require to be able to deliver the sort of service that you're expecting us to deliver. Uh, Angie, just uh, time's running out here, but are there any states or territories that are actually treating this really seriously and really getting behind the chaplaincy disaster networks in their state? Is there, is there anyone that's outstanding right now or are they all in need of you know the ability to take those next steps to grow? 
Yeah, look, in other states, say, um, some of the networks are more well-resourced than what Queensland is, obviously, because we're still in that um, early formation stage up here. So um, other uh, church denominations will will donate certain a uh, certain amount of money and finances to be able to get those networks to where they need to be. Um, so uh, the New South Wales network is particularly strong just because of the um, support that they've got behind them. Other st- states are really lacking, though, and they're really needing needing uh, people, you know, whether that be individuals, companies, organizations, churches, to be able to um, to provide, you know, whether that be financially or, or prayer support or however they can, can provide those supports. Uh, we definitely need it to be able to be able to be deployed uh, and to cover all of the costs and things that we need. So we're needing uniforms here in Queensland. We're needing websites. Uh, we're needing... Uh, training support, you know, a whole range of different things for us to get to uh, where we envisage that the uh, Queensland Disaster Chaplaincy Network can be. Well, consider this a job description for what you're going to need in your community, uh, whether you're in the far north of the state of Queensland, uh, if you're in the southeast corner or you're in the southwest of the state. And, and of course, uh, there are these uh, disaster chaplaincy networks that are operating in all the states around Australia. And so today our guests are from the state of Queensland. And uh, just, to, just to say here that you are looking for people to respond. You are wanting to see this network grow dramatically because you are just in the formation stages, but you know that the next big natural disaster is going to be just around the corner and there's a need to have a chaplaincy response in place before those disasters hit. And I guess you're talking to people today who are uh, looking to be involved in a ministry role that they can be prepared for. But this is a ministry role that's not a walk in the park. This is a ministry role that actually has real substance, that really needs resilient people to be the chaplains. Because if you're a wishy-washy sort of a person, you're probably not going to cut it when you're there helping alongside that person who is in need in that moment of trauma. So drawing alongside people is not an easy thing. So, uh, But there is that this call for people to be joining with this disaster chaplaincy network in the state of Queensland. Here is that email address to directly connect with our guests today. QLDdirector at chaplaincyaustralia.com QLDdirector at chaplaincyaustralia.com Our two special guests who've been sharing this time with us, Jesse Webb, who's CEO at Chaplain Watch in Brisbane. There's a Chaplain Watch website, chaplainwatch.org.au. And Angie Herantz is the Queensland and Northern Territory Director for Chaplaincy Australia. You could connect, no doubt, through Chaplaincy Australia's website too. So there's connecting points there. But my encouragement is uh, this is something you recognise. There's a need in your community, your opportunity here to be representative of your local church and of Christians everywhere under the banner banner of the Disaster Chaplaincy Network. Uh, So QLD Director at chaplaincyaustralia.com. To Jesse, thank you so much for being part of our conversation today. Thank you, Neil. And Angie, thank you so much for being part of this conversation, sharing your wonderful insights. Thank you, Neil, and thank you for your time. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.